You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Matthew chapter 7, as we move back into our series, Real Talk, with a message today entitled, The Good Father, as we are compelled to pray and to respond. All of that happens out of the context of the fact that God is good and uh, how He is working and uh, delivering in our lives. And so uh, we're going to get back into our series. We've been on this Real Talk series for a while, went out at uh, Easter and uh, time to get back in and uh, finish it up before the summertime. And um, as you know, if you've been around, you know that as Jesus was teaching, He'd been out and He went up onto the mountain and uh, He sat down and He talked taught them. And um, it was like drinking from the fire hose for them. They were hearing so many new things, different things, a perspective they hadn't thought about or heard before. And so many of the gaps were being filled in for them. But it was definitely not an easy thing for him to hear. There was so much that uh, he had covered. I don't know how long the sermon took, um, but I imagine by this point, they'd probably been listening to Jesus for an hour or so, and uh, then he comes to our message of today. But just uh, for review for us, what were uh, some of the things that, that he had talked about? And uh, the first thing that happens in the Sermon on the Mount um, is what we call the Beatitudes. That's just a list of, of character traits that godly people should be going after in their lives. And uh, so we started with those. We took a day, a, a message, and went through those and asked ourselves the question, how are we modeling those things as followers of Jesus Christ? And then you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And, and uh, don't uh, hide your light. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That was the next thing. And then he went into a whole series in the uh, Sermon on the Mount and how Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and how that he was the fulfillment of the law. And he went through in a number of areas you have heard it said, but I say to you, and uh, there were many of them, including the topics of anger and lust and divorce and making oaths and retaliating and loving your enemies. He went, just went through one after another, just the fire hose, just one after another of those things and how he had come not, not to abolish the law, but to uh, fulfill it. And then he went on and he taught on... Um, practicing our righteousness. And he talked about how we practice our righteousness and how we give to the needy. And what's your heart? And are you doing so that others will see it? Or are you doing it that God would be glorified? And then, and then he went on, and he taught about prayer, but taught about prayer in the context of um, our motives and why we pray. And, um, and we were challenged by that. And then he went on, he taught about fasting and laying up treasures and anxiety. And the last message before uh, Easter, um, he taught them about judging one another. And uh, so now as we come back into it, he, Jesus moves back into the topic of prayer. Um, but not just about prayer. It talks about prayer from the context of who we're praying to. And then as you'll see at the end of this message, then what is our response? And it's interesting because as he goes through it, we're, we're given these things that we need to do and we need to do and we need to do. But the application is about how we're going to live. And uh, we want to see that today. So you get your Bibles open now. Matthew 7, let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 7 and read through to the end of verse 12. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask them? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word that we hold in our hands. How privileged we are. Uh, many people around the world don't even have a copy of the scriptures. And many of us in our homes have multiple copies of them. And so, Lord, as we uh, read your word, as we hear from it today, would you stir our hearts? Would you challenge us in our walk? Would you open our eyes in this topic of prayer and then seeing how good you are and our response, Lord, would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, but then hearts passionate to live out for the fame of our Savior? God, would you do what only you can do in this place in changing our hearts for the fame of Jesus Christ? We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, today's message is about persevering in prayer, but it's about persevering in prayer because of, of God's goodness and his faithfulness to us, and then the message is about our response in all of that. So some things we want to look at today. Here's the first one. We need to be people who are committed to the process. We need to be committed to the process. Look what it says in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. That's the process. But what we need to understand is, in the language that this was written in, this was not some passive kind of thing that a person would do. Uh, the, the Greek is in the um, imperative tense. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, that means it's proactive and it's sustained. This is something you go after. This is something, not something you're just like, well, no, I, I prayed for a job three months ago and the Lord hasn't provided it's not talking like that at all. This is about you're on it and you stay on it and you don't give up on it until God gives you the answer. In the Amplified translation of these verses, it says, keep on asking and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. And he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. And so there's this sense of not passivity in our prayer, but activity and passion and urgency in all these things. And Jesus gives them uh, three pictures of how we persevere. The first one he says, ask, ask, and it'll be given to you. So many times people come and, and they're talk to me or we do it in our lives all the time. And, and it's like, I don't know. I don't know what they would do. I don't know what they would say. I don't know how they would act. It's like, well, why don't you just ask them? Why don't you just ask them? Um, so often, it's just, just ask them, because what's the worst case scenario? No, you don't have it now, so it's not like you lost anything. Why don't we just ask? Well, it's like that with God. Why don't we come to him, and why don't we just ask? Well, it's not big enough for God. You don't think God cares about the little things in your life? Uh, we need to ask. We need to come. We need to come with, with passion as we come. We need to be people who ask. Um, in James 4, 2 and 3, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here's the part I want you to hear. You do not have because you do not ask. 
Now, the reason God is not answering your prayers often is because you're just not even asking. You're thinking about it. You might even tell people, I pray about that, but you don't actually pray about it. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And what you want is not what God wants. What you want is what you want. And then you wonder why God doesn't answer. But we need to be people who ask. And we need to keep on asking. Have you got a son or a daughter that's not walking with the Lord? Do you keep on asking? Do you keep, have you given up? That's not what this verse is about. This verse isn't about, you know, they walked away from the Lord when they were 16 and I stopped praying for them. I gave up. Not like this. Not here. Ask. Ask. You don't have a job and, well, no, I prayed that the Lord would give me a job, but you haven't prayed about it for three weeks. You pray every day for it. You pray three, four times a day for it. Ask. You've had a health situation and it's like, well, no, I've given it over to the Lord. No, every day. Ask. 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 I know so often in my own life, I believe God is waiting for me to ask and keep on asking, and then he provides. Not to punish me. We're going to see reasons why that happens in a few minutes, but committed to the process of asking. Here's the next one. Committed to the process of seeking. It says, seek, and you will find. Seek, and you will find. Now, did you ever lose anything? You lose your keys or whatever, and all of a sudden, your heart starts to palpitate, and you start looking everywhere. Sue and I uh, lost something about a week ago, and like, we turned our house upside down looking for it. And uh, we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and we couldn't find it. And we thought back, where had we been? We phoned a place to see if it was left there. We were, we were seeking after that. We were seeking after that. And uh, finally, we found it. You know what people say sometimes, or they've lost something, they said, we found, the last place we looked, we found it. You think about how ridiculous that is, right? You're an idiot if you keep looking after you found it. Of course you found it in the last place you looked. That's when you found it and you stopped looking for it. That's just a little note for you along the way. Don't say that because people think you're a kook when you say, found it in the last place I looked. So, of course. We're to be people of God who ask. We're to be people of God who seek. There's a picture of this in Scripture in Luke 15, 8 to 10, where what woman, could be a man, having 10 silver coins, coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice for me, for I found the coin that has been lost. See, that's the way we are to go after God in prayer. We're to be people who are seeking after him. We ask him. We seek after him. And then the third picture that's given is that we're people who knock. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This word knock has the sense of urgency connected to it. It's like your car broke down in the country in the middle of winter and you're crawling up to the farmhouse door and if you don't get through that door, you're going to freeze to death. It's not a timid little knock on the door. You pound on the door so that the person will come. That's the kind of urgency that we have when we talk about how we come to God in prayer. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's just, I'm coming to you on this, Lord. I'm, I'm counting on you on this, Lord. I, I remember when we were in Bible college in an evangelism class, and we had to go out and do door-to-door evangelism. And uh, so we had a, a street that we were to go up and down the sides and, and knock on the door. Now, if you're an evangelist, if you have that gift, you're just like pounding on the door. Everybody you can talk to, you want to talk to. And if the rest of us weren't quite like that. We were more like, I, I hope nobody comes. 
we can leave our track and go on to the next door, okay? That's how we pray so often. And the Lord's saying, knock with urgency and with passion. Now, that's how we come to the door, not timid, not really wanting a response. If you don't knock, the door's not gonna be opened. How will the owner know you're there if you don't knock on the door? It's the way God's told us to come. And God says, you ask, it'll be given to you. You seek and you will find. You knock. And to the one who knocks, it will be open to him. And so we're told to persevere. We're told not to give up in prayer. And that person you've been praying for, or maybe you haven't been praying for, and you hear this message, like, get back on that. You get back on that and you persevere in prayer. And what are some of the reasons to persevere in prayer? Now, here's a number. One, uh, first of all, because repetition brings perspective and clarity. Repetition will bring you perspective and clarity. Uh, so often what we start praying for in something is not where it ends up. And I need some perspective. Maybe it's just the reality that what I'm praying for really is a little bit selfish and it's really not what God has for me. And I just need some clarity on this. And by praying over and over and over and over and consistently crying out to the Lord, you get clarity. It's one of the reasons to persevere in prayer. Uh, persevere in prayer because it brings a right focus. When you persevere in prayer, you might move from what you thought you wanted till you get to the place where, here it is, I want what God wants. It doesn't matter what I want. As a matter of fact, if I get what I want, it's probably going to be detrimental to me. And by praying over and over and over again, coming before the Lord, and maybe the Lord reveals to you there's a little bit of selfishness in this. Like, why do you keep praying for a three-car garage with a pool in the backyard and and a, and a, and a, and a, and a? And your prayers haven't been about God's glory for a long, long time. And praying with perseverance brings us to a place of a right focus. Uh, praying with uh, perseverance uh, brings refining, refining in our lives. Maybe there's some correction that needs to happen for you. And so we pray over and over again, and God works on our motives and our attitudes. Um, here's another one. Repetition allows time for God to change you. See, the reality often in prayer is, is that we don't need to change God's mind. Our mind needs to be changed about things. It's not that we don't pray for things. It's not that God doesn't supply many, many things. But sometimes our minds need to be changed about things. Um, here's one more. It allows things to happen in God's time, in God's way. I remember when we were praying, I talked about uh, New Market Campus in the, uh, in, in, in the announcement time I did. Um, when we prayed about starting that church, we prayed that God would give us a church planter like God did in giving us Ian out in Durham. And he would come, he would be the guy, we would set that thing free, and it would be, that's, that's what we desired. That's what we wanted as the elders. That's what we prayed for. And we interviewed a couple of guys, one of them being Mike, who is now there and will be the senior pastor. And I remember meeting with Mike and talking to him about church planting and New Market and all the rest of it, and he said, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. And so that's fine. So we moved on, and the Lord never provided that guy. And so we kept praying because we believed what we were praying for was the right thing and, and we had to come to the courage of the second decision on it and came to the place of maybe, maybe the church is to happen but the way we thought it would happen is not the way it will happen. 
And so we started to think about a campus church, and we were sending videos up there, and then Mike started to preach more, and then in January, he's preaching all of the time up there now, except today, because Jason's there, but he's the full-time guy up there preaching, and as soon as we have elders in place, and the CRA places, things are in place, that thing's going to be cut loose. But it wasn't the way we thought it would be. And we had to come back to, Lord, we believe this is the right thing, but we're not going to get stuck on doing it our way. We want to do, God, what you want to do in this, and he is doing it, and we rejoice in it, and there's lots of reasons to persevere in prayer. But I need to kind of go off on a bit of a rabbit trail for a second here and answer the question about when do you keep praying about something, and when do you, what, what things don't you pray over and over about? Because there are a couple of things you only need to pray about once. You don't need to pray about them anymore. Um, and so the things we always need to be praying for and consistently praying for are things of supplication, the things that we need. Um, we do this when we come together for our church-wide prayer nights. We have a time when we pray for the church and a time when we pray for each other. And we need to always be doing that. Always we need to be doing that. Um, we need to be praying over and over with urgency in the sense of thanksgiving and adoration to God for who he is and what he's doing. We need to do that all the time. All the time. That's not the context of this text, but we need to be doing that all of the time. But there's some things you only need to pray for once. You don't ever have to pray for them again. The prayer to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You only have to pray that one time. You don't pray that over and over again. Jesus is your Savior. You trusted Jesus Christ. He now rules in your heart. You are his child. You never stop being his child. You don't get Jesus back on the cross, getting saved every week. One time you need to pray that prayer. After that, it becomes a time of rejoicing and remembering and adoration for what God has done. But that's not a prayer that you have to keep praying over and over again. Here's another prayer you don't have to pray over and over again, a, a prayer of confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. So that thing that you have failed in, why do you keep praying for that? Why do you keep asking God to, do you not think that God doesn't have the capacity to forgive you the first time you prayed for it? Of course he does, and that's what God does. Satan is the one who wants to keep bringing that back up in your life, dragging it back up in you again. Oh, what a failure I am. And God's gone, that sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. Why do you keep praying about that? Why do you keep confessing that sin? See, that thing, if it moves anywhere, it moves from the prayer side to the praise side of, Lord, what you've done in my life is so amazing what you've accomplished. And so those are two prayers, two areas of prayer you only need to pray once. Does that mean all of my sin? No, no, no. When you confess a sin, it's done. You don't have to confess that sin ever again. And when you trust Jesus Christ, he is your savior uh, there may be growth that you'll see in it, but you don't ask that over and over and over again. Christ saved you once from your sin. And so there's, there is the ask and seek and knock for the things that we require and the things we need, but there are these things in prayer. They're just one-time things, and I needed to say that because I don't want to confuse people about prayer. We need to be committed to the process. Here's the next thing. We need to be motivated by God's promise. Now look at the promise in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be be open to them. Now, this is not a name it and claim it verse. This is not, oh, I just cry out to God over and over. He's going to give me everything I want. Everything I want. He's always going to give. I just have to ask for it. And it's going to be like rubbing the, the genie, the, 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 what do they call that thing? The lantern. And the genie's going to pop out and give me everything I ever want. That's what I was talking about. God will always give you what you need. Always give you what you need. 
He won't always give you what you want. We're going to see some reasons for that in just a moment. But the verse says here, you do it and you will receive. You do it and you will receive. You do it, you will receive. And you will see God working. And you'll see him accomplishing things in, in your life and the way he's blessing. But maybe you're sitting there today and you say, if that's true, pastor, then why are my prayers not getting answered? I don't feel like I'm receiving. I don't feel like I'm getting in a reward from my investment in this thing called prayer. So I want to give you a number of reasons your prayers may not be being answered. Here's one, doubt, doubt. Um, James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, no doubting. No doubting what? Well, I'm praying for a brand new car. God, like, I'm not sure he's gonna do that. Well, see, you're praying for the wrong thing. You're not praying for the will of God in your life. You pray for the will of God without doubting. Lord, all I want in my life is what you want. That's it. It, you, the request's still the same. If you have a need, if there's something you want to cry out to God for, but at the end of the day, Lord, I only really want one thing. I want what you want. And you don't receive because you doubt. Let him ask with no doubting. Here's another reason we don't get our prayers answered, because we ask with the wrong motives. Already saw James 4, said you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, because our motives are wrong. They're selfish, or they're designed really that somebody else would even get heard, and you don't receive because of wrong motives. Here's another reason God doesn't answer your prayers is because of unconfessed sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says the Lord will not hear me. God's not answering your prayers when you're living in sin and you know it and it's unconfessed and you're not willing to do anything about it. Isaiah 59, 2, the second part of the verse says, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Wow. I never want to be at the place where someone would say that to me. Your sins, Pastor Paul, have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And maybe the reason your prayers aren't answered is because there's sin in your life that you're allowing to be there, you're even enjoying it, and you're not willing to do anything about it, and you're wondering why your life is falling apart. Unconfessed sin. How about this, unforgiveness? Somebody's come to you and asked you to forgive them for something and you maybe were even deeply hurt by it and you're like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. Or just an unwilling and unforgiving spirit that you have. In um, Mark eleven twenty five, it says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. Well, it's not fair. Forgive. Oh, no, 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 but, but you don't understand. It's just not fair. Really? Really? What Jesus Christ forgave you for? What he went to the cross for you for? And you're going to play the it's not fair card with God? Um, see, sometimes God's not hearing and answering our prayers because we're unwilling to forgive. Um, how about this one, men? Strife at home. Well, you, why are you picking on the men? Well, because Peter did, so I can. In the 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. You mean, you mean if I don't work hard at my marriage, if I don't work to live with my wife in an understanding way, God's going to stop answering? Well, that's what the Bible says. 
Live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? So that your prayers won't be hindered. Because otherwise, you become selfish. You become motivated by what you want. You are the center of the universe. And, and God's like, yeah. Prayers are going to here. Not going any further. It cuts both ways, ladies. You need to do the same thing. You probably need more understanding than the men do because we're pretty messed up. And so, you know, a lot of understanding you have to give us and live in an understanding way because your walk with God will stay right when you do it. Um, how about this one? Um, strife at home. How about this one? You, you turn away from Scripture. There was a time when you were focused on Scripture. There was a time when you were reading the Word. And, but now you're more interested in your own opinions and your own thoughts. And here's what it says in Proverbs 28.9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Wow. A wrong focus on the Word. How about this? You just don't pray. Or you don't pray consistently. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. There's a picture of discipline that's required in our prayer. And if you're not disciplined in your prayers, don't be surprised that you're not seeing God answering your prayers. If you're going to be an athlete, you have to be disciplined. You have to get up. You have to train. Even when it hurts, you don't give up. If you're going to be a musician who's going to play in the Toronto Symphony, you've got to work. You have to work hard. You have to study. If you're going to be the best chef in the world, it comes through practice. It comes through discipline. It comes from hard work. If you're going to be a good parent, it comes from hard work. It comes from practice. It comes from discipline. And prayer comes from the same things. Pray without ceasing. Not giving up. Practicing the discipline. Maybe you're not um, feeling God's answered your prayers because um, you've forgotten all that God has done for you. You have forgotten. You don't, you don't take time in your prayers to rejoice in God's goodness and his faithfulness and his love. You don't, you don't take time to uh, praise him. You don't take time to adore him. You don't take time to give thanks to him. You don't take time to... Just rehearse all of the things God has done. You go, well, I can't think of anything. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, start with this. Jesus Christ died for me. I trusted him as my Savior. He gave me eternal life. If you've got nothing else, you got that. And then you'll have hundreds of other things. And sometimes we are not seeing God work because uh, we have forgotten so many of the things that God has done. Rehearse them, remember them, never forget them. And be a good challenge for you to go home this afternoon and take a piece of paper and just write down how God is good to you. Um, sometimes uh, we don't feel God is answering prayer because God didn't answer it necessarily the way we had hoped it would be answered. See, there's different ways that God can answer. You, you can pray and God can say yes and you'll get what you asked for. It can happen for sure. It does happen regularly. But it may be that God says, no, I'm not giving you that. That's not the right thing for you. If I gave you that, that would be harmful to you. You're not ready for it. No. Or maybe it's um, not yet or you're going to wait. Uh, we went through that with our, the illustration I gave you of the church up in Newmarket. It was not yet. You need to wait. We need to get this into the right place. And, and so there could be good reason that God's not answering because you're thinking God's going to answer like this when really God has a different answer for you. Um, we need to be motivated by, by God's promise that he will answer our prayer. But answering the prayer of God, I want what you want. That's what I want. Um, here's another one. 
Another thing for us in this passage is confident in God's caring. Now, in your notes, for those of you who are note takers, it says ability, okay? The pastor has the prerogative from the time the notes get printed till he gets preached to change a word in his outline. For those of you that's too much for you, I'm really sorry, I apologize. Please don't come and speak to me afterwards about that. Uh, so it says the word ability. Take the word ability out, that word was lame, and put the word caring in, okay? And because that's the right word for this outline, okay? We're all past that now? Okay, apparently I'm not, but you are, that's good. Uh, confident in God's caring. Look at verses nine and 10, there's two questions here. Or, or which, uh, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Well, Duh. Like, no parent would ever do that, right? You ask for bread, a good father's not giving you a stone. Um, but the next in question, it goes like, um, or if he asks you for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Think about this in the context of God supplying our every need and God's caring for us. And think about it like this. The stone and the bread illustration represents what we need. What we need. We need bread. God's not going to give you what you don't need. You don't need a stone. You need bread. So what good father, any good father in the room, if his son has a need as best we can, and we're going to see how we struggle even in that, but we're going to give them the best thing that we can. And so if you need bread, we're not going to give them something they don't need. We're going to give them bread because it's what they need. And the second picture of the fish and the snake illustration is of what could hurt us. God's not going to give you what's going to hurt you. And so no matter how much you ask and no matter how you seek and how hard you knock, God's, God's designed for us, oh, I'll just give him that and knock the tar out of him. That's not God's heart for us. Because God cares for us. He wants to supply what we need. And he doesn't want to give us what's going to hurt us. Look at verse 11. There's two pictures of disparity in verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, what great words those are, eh? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So there's two pictures of disparity in this. First of all, there's the disparity of the givers. In this verse, there's the giver who's a human father, and then there's the giver who is the heavenly father. And the disparity is absolutely immense. He's talking about the human fathers. If you then who are evil. Now, Jesus is setting the picture up of who we are in our self-righteousness and who we think we are against God who is perfect, who is all-loving, who is all-caring. And so that's the picture. That's the way this is set up. You who are evil is not saying that you are totally evil. You're not able to do anything that's good. The proof for that's right in the text because he says, um, you who are evil know how you can give good gifts, right? He's talking about our condition in and of ourselves and how far we fall short of the glory of God. But even in that state as a father, you desire to do good for your children. You desire to give them things that are, are good for them. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. But we struggle because we're not filled with all knowledge and we don't always know what our kids really, really need. And um, sometimes the uh, gifts are given just to shut people up. Um, 
You ever watched a parent in the grocery store and their kid is going like sideways and there's only one way to make it stop? It's to reach out and just give them whatever they want. Whatever will make it stop. Well, that's not a perfect gift. That's not even a great gift. It's probably not even in the long run a good gift. And because we don't have the capacity that God has to see those things, and, and that's what's being set up here as the comparison. Or how about the gift that comes because you want to make yourself look better than someone else? Parents do this all the time with their kids, especially in homes where there's a breakup or a divorce that's happened and the dad only has the kids on the weekend or the mom only has the kids on the weekend. So they come on the weekend, they do all kinds of special things, they go everywhere they can and it might not even be done with a desire to hurt the other person. It's just, I don't have very much time with them, I gotta do stuff. But at the end result is, you think it's a good gift. It might not be a good gift because we just don't know. We just don't know. But even in that, as a parent or as a person, we, we give good gifts. We do the best we can. But then look what it says. I love this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, it's an example for them to see. It's an example for you to see. Look at those next words. How much more? See, those are critical words. How much more? more. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things, good gifts to you, to those who ask him? And this is where that whole, um, if I just ask it, if I just claim it, I'm going to get it, falls totally apart. God doesn't give you what you want. God gives you what you need. He will always, my God shall supply all your, try that again, my God shall supply all your, right, according to what? His Riches and glory. So I got a dad who's out there who's got 20 bucks in his pocket to take care of a kid and their need. And I've got God who's out there who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How much more? We get caught up so often and I just want to get what's going to give me the short-term gain, going to get rid of that little bit of pain. I want to get my focus on. And, and, and God's like, I got a bigger picture. I'm going to supply everything, everything that you need and what's, what's the bank account it's drawn on? According to his riches that are in glory. What an amazing truth. What an amazing hope. We have this um, confident in God's caring, but then we have the, dis the, the disparity of the givers because the one giver is short-sighted and limited and the giving from God comes from one who loves perfectly, who models reliably, who acts selflessly in giving his son Jesus Christ, who loves sacrificially, who understands completely. There's the disparity of the giver and then there's the disparity of the gifts. You see, the gift that comes from a human father has limited resources and limited wisdom and even limited motives. But the gift that comes from your heavenly father, how much more? You know what it says in James 1.17? Every good and perfect gift is from above. You want good and perfect gifts? They don't come on this earth. They come from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, when God meets your need, he meets your needs with what you need. He meets your needs through limitless resources. 
and he meets your needs well, what, by what will bring you back to a right relationship with him. And that's pictured so beautifully in our salvation. So often the verses about grace and our salvation are about the gift. They're about the giving. Here's a few. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. But what? The free gift of God. What you need is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not your own doing. It is a gift of God of what you need. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John 3.1, what so, excuse me, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The gifts from our Heavenly Father are perfect gifts, are complete gifts, are the gifts we need. They're not limited by resources. And it starts with your salvation. And you remember the day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A week before that, you didn't even want it. You didn't even care about God. You hated God. You were an enemy of God. And God came and he gave you the gift that you didn't want, you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. And, and he goes, I'll give you what you need. I have the resources. I gave my son so you could have eternal life. And you believed and you were saved. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, that's the resource, that's the gift that God offers to you today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You don't work hard for it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's God lavishly giving to us what we don't deserve. And he gave it to us in the work of Jesus Christ. And what do I do? I believe that he did it for me. I trust Jesus Christ. I transfer my trust from myself. I put my trust in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Here's one more thing about God's gifts to us. God's gifts for us were designed to bring him glory. God's gifts for us are designed ultimately to bring him glory. Do we benefit from it? We sure do. Ultimately, though, God's gifts for us are to bring him glory. Therefore, our prayers to him should be, Lord, I'm going to keep on asking, I'm going to keep on seeking, I'm going to keep on knocking, but here's what I want, God, more than all the things I ask, I want what you want. That's what I want. If you don't want me to have that thing, then that'll be, I'll be fine with that. Just show me that, and, and I'll be fine with that, because I want what you want for me. Because that's the resource that you bring it from. That's the source that we have it from. And, and that's the God who, how much more? How much more? But how much more focused on what will bring God glory? So Jesus says to them, seek, ask, knock, keep at it, don't give up. But go after what God wants for you. Go after what God wants for you. Get your eyes off of yourself, get your eyes off of selfishness, and get your eyes on the glory of God. Well, you'll notice in the text, in your Bible, if you uh, pick it up and look at it, it's like the passage kind of ends there, and then there's an exclamation mark, which shows you how important it is, and then there's a gap, and it says, the golden rule, and then there's this next word, so. That's why this message, this verse is part of this message, and not next week's message, because of that word, so. As a matter of fact, if you shorten the next word, it's so what, so that's where it can go right in your notes, uh, this is the so what of this message. So as, as he's teaching, Jesus is going through, he's teaching all of this, and now he, he comes to this, so what? 
or as a result, or therefore, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to live. And then we're given what's called the golden rule. Now, you say, are you allowed to do that, Pastor? Are you allowed like, to break it up like that? Who gave you the right to do that? Okay, so let's just understand a couple things about the Bible you hold in your hand. First of all, when Matthew wrote it, he wrote it. It was just written all the way out. There weren't chapter divisions in it. There weren't verse divisions in it. And there weren't headings in it, right? It was just what he wrote, and he wrote it all out. And those things have all been put in there for our benefit. They've been put in there so I can go turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 7 to 12. And you know exactly where to turn. You know exactly where to look. That's why they were put there. The content of what he wrote is what he wrote. But these other things are put there for us. And uh, I, as I was reading it, I come to him and he goes, well, you come and he's like, so? That means we're supposed to do something now. We're supposed to respond and how do we respond? Well, so coming to God in prayer, asking and seeking and knocking, knowing that God responds and he meets our needs. And then here's what we're told to do. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This was what's called the, the golden rule. Reality is what's being said here is live like your father. Reflect God's goodness. Reflect God's gifts. And it comes out in this verse that we call the golden rule. It wasn't called the golden rule. When Matthew was writing down what Jesus was saying, he said, oh yeah, and Jesus gave us the golden rule there. That, that, that never happened. Okay, uh, here's where they believe that came from. Actually, the title Golden Rule traditionally comes from the Roman Emperor Alexander Severus. You don't need to write this down, but just so you know, um, who wasn't a Christian, but was impressed by some of the teaching of Jesus. And when he read this, he had it inscribed on the wall of his chamber. The wall was made of gold. It was the Golden Rule. Uh, that's, so that's where it comes from. But the reality of it provides a rule that we can use in thousands of specific cases to determine what righteousness would look like for us. And so that's why we have the truth. It doesn't change the verse at all. The verse is still the verse. That's just where that whole golden rule thing came from. But it's a great verse that helps us understand in spite of God calling us to come to him and he answers and he loves us. And now he tells us this thing of how we live so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Lots of religions have another form of this same kind of thing. It's not a bad thing. It's kind of called, it's the silver rule because it's a little bit different, but here's some examples of it. In the Hindu faith, they would teach, this is the sum of duty. Do not to others, which if done to you, would cause you pain. Not bad. Um, the Buddhists would say, hurt no others with that which hurts yourself. Jewish tradition would say, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow men. A Muslim would be taught, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. The Baha'i faith teaches that he should not wish for others that which he does not wish for himself, nor promise that which he does not fulfill. A couple of other sources, Socrates Arthenia, who was a Greek orator and educator, he taught in 436 BC, do not do unto others what angers you if done to you by others. Not bad. Um, Seneca, the Roman philosopher around the time of Christ, said, treat your inferiors as you would be treated by your betters. 
So this kind of idea was certainly out there, but Jesus, he fulfills it. He changes it. He brings it to what is complete. See, the others were saying, don't do to others what you don't want done to you. But that's not what Jesus tells us. He takes it to the next step and he says, do unto others what you want them to do to you. We are to be proactive. We are to be first. We are to live out our faith for that troubled person. We're supposed to live out for them on how we would like them to live. But if they never do, it doesn't matter because I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to do what's going to be faithful to him. And so what Jesus did, he just took it as he always does. He just, he makes it perfect. He brings it to fulfillment. Hey, church, we have a good father. We have a good father. Uh, We have a good father who will do so much more. And we need to be people of God who come and we need to ask and we need to seek and we need to knock in prayer and we need to trust that God's going to give us what we need. And he always will. But then we're called to live. And we're called to live like Jesus did, doing unto others what you would want them to do to you. Are you doing that? Will you do that? Will you make it your focus this week in light of all that God has awesomely blessed us with? I'm going to live out the golden rule for the fame of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge of it. Thank you for this text that we could walk through and learn from it. And Lord, I'm not sure what each person in this room needs. I don't even know what they need, but you do. And maybe the message for them was, man, I never persevere in anything in prayer. And I need to start to do that. And I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to keep on praying until you answer my prayer. Uh, Maybe the person who's here today is like, I've been praying, but my prayers have been selfish. And Lord, I want to pray. I want to start praying. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I want what you want for my life. That's what I'm going to pray. Or maybe it's, Lord, all that you've done for me. Teach me, Lord, how to do unto others. Regardless of how they respond, I will do what would bring you glory. And I will live for the fame of my Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.